Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we start today, I wonder, is there a challenge you're facing at work? Perhaps you're not sure what to do about it, or if there is anyone out there who can help you. Why not book in a call using the Calendly link in the show notes and we can have a chat. I'm always happy to help. And it's true what they say. Two heads really are better than one when you're diving deep and climbing high. Today, we're going to be diving deep into the world of networking. Some of us love networking and there are others like me, if I'm being honest, who would rather pluck out their eyes with a hot poker. My guest is one of my favourite clients, and I would describe her as a networking angel. Her ability to connect and work with people is off the scale. It's most definitely one of her superpowers. She also happens to be a straight-talking northern lass who tells it like it is. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Please welcome Jane Donaghy, Associate Director of Accommodation, Catering and Retail at the University of Arts London. Hi, Jane. Hello, Mel. Not often I'm called an angel. I know, I know. But you are, to me, you are most definitely a networking angel. And it's definitely one of your superpowers. But perhaps before we go into to networking and we dive deep into networking, perhaps you can share with us a little bit of your career journey, because I know it's been fascinating, and how you ended up finally at the University of the Arts London. Unfortunately, it's longer than I'd like to imagine it is, but um, yes, it is long. But I've spent my first 30 years uh, working in catering, actually, as a catering operator, uh, moving into a sales role, and then as an MD for a myriad of companies in the UK. I then moved to New Zealand and did the same thing in Auckland and Sydney um, for 10 years. I think I said that. And then came back to London. I was a little bit lost, actually, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I did quite a lot of consulting for about four years, which took me into different businesses. And I landed at UAL for a six month period to do a review of the accommodation department, which was in 2012 in the Olympics. Uh, And that's where I am now. 10 years later, I'm still there, but always in people business. So I must like people. And I think that's half the challenge with networking. Yeah, absolutely. So how was it transitioning from the world of catering to the university world? Initially, when I took the role, like I didn't actually see where those transferable skills were going to come from. But um, in starting... It started at a really busy time, as everyone would know, February. We were just getting ready to go live on our uh, our accommodation sales for that September, about to launch into the summer. And some of the staff who are still with me now, my team, were asking me questions and I didn't even know the question, never mind be able to give them an answer. So as I say, initially, I didn't think there were any. 
but I reached out really quickly, anyone I knew in HE, and one of those was Jane Neary at Imperial College. And I said, what is this about? This accommodation business, what is it? Um, and she had come from a catering background as well. And so I spent quite a lot of time with her in the beginning, picking her brains. And then I realized that really we were just dealing with customers who were students and accommodation, which is no different than a hotel and selling things. And so I, I guess I just broke it down bit by bit by bit in terms of what we needed to do. What would I do if I'd gone into a, a new catering operation and it was failing? Um, what were we missing? What skills were we missing? Um, what areas did we need to focus on? I had problem solving in front of me. We had low occupancy, poor reviews and unhappy students really, complaints going through the roof. So I guess in the beginning it was problem solving, being quite reactive to try and find out what, why that was. And then I just had to draw up a plan in terms of what I needed to do first. And the first thing I needed to do is sell rooms. Yeah. And that came yeah. quite naturally. Because if we didn't sell the rooms, we couldn't afford to do anything else. Yeah. So yeah. the focus was on actually getting marketing sorted uh, as selling the rooms. Um, and then I knew if that we sell the rooms and the occupancy was high, I'd have some money to spend on other skills we didn't have. So that's where it started, really. Okay. Love that. And... We've known each other now for about five or six years, and I would describe you as a networking angel. And actually, when we were talking about this before we came onto the show, for me, networking feels like an intrinsic part of your leadership strategy, because you don't just network to build contacts. You're curious. I've seen you. You're always wanting to know from people. You're always wanting to understand what's going on for them. But also for people like me that are, you know, a supplier, I guess, you look after us really well and you're thoroughly loyal. You will kick us up the backside if we need kicking up the backside, but you're also our biggest supporter. And I've seen you do that, not just with me, but at UAL, you have a, a third party catering contractor, Baxter Story. And I know when the pandemic hit that you looked after them so well, you were as worried about their staff as you were about your own UAL staff. And that's why I call you a networking angel. So talk to us a little bit more about how you network, why you network and, and where it came from. Let's start with where it came from then. And in my early 20s, I moved down from Liverpool and um, I started working in a catering company for a couple of years, which was a bit corporate. I didn't like that. I didn't like being told I had to wear a navy blue skirt. And there was a, a file on the shelf that answered the problems I might have. I thought, no, this isn't going to do for me. I need to work somewhere else. So I went to another company, which was a little bit more creative, catering and allied. And the guy who owned the company, Mark Stringer, sadly passed last year. He would be, I think, where I learned my initial skills and realized the importance of what he did. He was a phenomenal networker till the day he died. If we say, you know, I was in my 20s when I met him. I was in my 60s the last time I saw him, which wasn't that long ago. And he came over like I'd seen him yesterday. My best angel, my little girl, you can say ice to Eskimos, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen him for 10 years. And when anyone says who's ever been inspiration in your life, he is one of those people for me. And I watched him work rooms. I watched him be charismatic in presentations, in associations with potential clients, existing clients, just, you know, even if we had forgotten to serve lunch one day, he would come in and it would be all right because 
the relationship he had was so strong, it wouldn't be okay, obviously, but he would get another chance because he was already established a fantastic relationship. But I think for me, the reasons why I realised early I needed to network was there's no question, and I learned it again when I joined UAL, that you get shared knowledge from that networking. And I needed it when I joined UAL at 2012. However good at networking I am, I knew nothing about education and I knew nothing about accommodation. I think it gives us all opportunities and, you know, it's a natural result of networking all through my life. I've never really applied for a job. I've been headhunted um, and that's through people I've met or people who've met me. So there's those natural opportunities that occur and it can occur in your existing employment as well. I mean, I love the connections. I love having, not, I don't like having loads of people on my LinkedIn, but I like to have a healthy LinkedIn following and follow just because I'm nosy and I'm, I am curious and I'm interested. And, you know, I, I like spending time with people. You know, I always think if you, you throw me into a room with, with not one person I know, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. I'll be fine. And I'll come out of there with six cards and six people I'll follow up on immediately. Um, I think it increases your confidence. So I think probably in my 20s, if I think back now, I was probably a bit nervous about it. But I think it does grow your confidence. And I think it obviously it raises your profile. So there's lots of benefits to you as a person, but there's also lots of benefits to companies, I think, uh, and other people within the industry. And I like to imagine that since joining um, university, I have been helpful to some of my other colleagues and peers at other universities and will always share my knowledge and connect them with somebody who's useful for this or that. And if I don't know them, I will find them. I think when you meet these people in that social environments, I think that I've got a really a real discipline where the next morning in the olden days when we did go networking a lot, whether it's at a association thing, whether it's a party that you happen to meet people in and there's a connection somewhere, I would get my cards out of my purse diligently sit down, write to all those people, lovely to meet you last night, you never know when I'll pass or cross again, you know, give me a call if you want to know more about, I don't know, coffee, um, as an example. I still do that now, although obviously the business cards aren't quite so normal, so it's with scraps of paper, but I still do that. In fact, after the last Cubo regional meeting, there were people I'd never met before and I connected with them the next morning. And I think that is a discipline that you need, takes five minutes. And also, if somebody does that to you, you know how that feels. So if you do that to somebody else, you know how that is feeling for them. And then they'll remember you more fondly. Yeah. So I think I think the other thing is that it can improve your skill set because you do meet people who, who come from different worlds and different lives and they have different experience. And if you, you know, you tap into the right people for the right reasons, then you will improve your skill sets and widen your knowledge. Yeah. So how can that be a bad thing? Exactly. And I think if, if I've observed you and I have observed you in a number of different situations, I think the other thing that I would say is that some people go networking because they feel like it's a one way relationship, whereas actually it's not. It's two way. And I think that you are always completely genuine. And I think that that's really important as well, you know, to be genuinely curious about people and what they're going through but also to be generous as you said with your time you'll always share your knowledge with with other people uh, funny enough jazzy who's my pa lots of people know her she said to me can you stop going out in the evenings because every morning i get new people who want to meet up with you and it's like i'm sorry try and just just try and plan it over the next few weeks there's all these new people um and she actually keeps a catalogue of names for me now because 
you know, I'll suddenly say, um, who did I meet this week? Uh, someone from the university contacted me who I've not really met with before, particularly for meetings. She's like, I'm adding him to your list. So if he calls, I know that you'll want to see him with that boredom in her, in her voice. But um, I mean, she helps me, doesn't she? Because she helps me with that admin side of that networking. And there is an admin side. So I, but I really enjoy it. I do enjoy meeting people. I do enjoy hearing about, you know, what they do at work. But I also enjoy stuff outside of work. I went to a function with Baxter Story recently. Um, I didn't know very many people at all, actually, which is unusual in the catering industry for me. And I wrote to the MD the following morning, as I would, and said, thank you very much for the invite. I had a lovely evening. It was lovely to be back again networking. And he said, the one thing with you is, well, there's two things when you invite you to a function. We always bring some energy and fun, which is great. And he said, I know you needn't worry about you because you're off introducing people to other people and you don't even know them. And I said, I know, but it's just natural. It just comes naturally, I guess. Yeah. I think Northerners are a bit friendlier. Sorry, Southerners. And I suppose a bit of that is from my upbringing as well. You know, we launch into talking to people, whereas some people might hold themselves back a bit. And that's not kind of me. Yeah. You occasionally get a rebuff, but you know, that's their loss, whatever. Move on, move on to someone nicer. Um, but the funny thing is that they'll end up kind of contact you in the years to come and say, you know, we met at this function. I think, mm, yes, I do know. So uh, you can hear when I'm talking, I think it, the energy's in my voice, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the physical appearance of you in terms of when you walk into a room that you've got to be open. You can't walk into a room closed with your shoulders down and, you know, thinking, don't, please don't come and talk to me because I don't know you. Yeah. You've sort of got to walk in with a bit of confidence and just go over and say, oh, hi, I'm Jane. You know, where are you from? And then you're off, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and you can do what you did to me at my book launch. You can ring me up and go, I've just been meeting with two people. Can, can they come to your book launch as well? Yeah, bring them along, Jane. No problem. Well, last week I took um, somebody from Fresh, actually, to a gin and tonic bus, which was put on by a company called Tonic with a K. And they do fantastic, innovative design in the catering industry, but they've used it and moved into student accommodation. Um, and they are really creative. It's a really nice company. And the person I took with me has already contacted them about going to see one of their sites. And I love that. I love that. So it was useful for her and it was useful for them. But, but yeah, you're right. I did say, can I bring my friend? <laughs> or my, actually, she's, a, she's a, one of my partners. So, um, but, I, you know, she thought she got something out of it. And so did they. So... Yeah. And that's, that, again, is natural for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So same field, slightly different tact. Obviously, now you are on the Colleges and University Business Officers Board, Cubo Board. And this episode will be going out during the main Cubo conference. So how do, to sort of more formal, I guess, events like, like conferences, sit for you in that networking sphere? I think one of the nice things that Cubo does, but it's not often attended as well as it should be, is that there's a new members session. And so for people who go to Cubo for the first time and they maybe they go on their own from their institution, I think those things are really important to go to because if you only meet one connection at that meeting, then you, you've got somebody you can look for in the week, if you know, over the conference if you want. I think for me, I'll want to see the list of who's going, where they're from. Um, I'll have read somebody's done fantastic at, I don't know, Edinburgh University. So I'll want to go over and speak to them about what they've been doing in Edinburgh or what they've been doing in Leicester or wherever that is. So I'll make a beeline for those people. And then I'll introduce myself to people that we don't know in the, in the more informal networks. 
I often introduce Cuba mentors to the partners that we know really well. So, you know, back to Storyable there, obviously they're my third party provider. If anyone's looking at catering, I'll take them over and introduce them. So I think there are different ways of networking at those types of things. One is that get yourself a list. And if you've heard something good about a university that you want to know more about, find that person and you've got an easy, direct question to ask. Um, in the less formal networking, then, you know, again, if, you, if you're not confident enough to go and introduce you to a supplier, find someone you know and ask them to take you over. Or I'll do the other way to get the suppliers to go over and find that person. And then I think at the dinners, you, you sit by people you've never met before. So, but I think the fear is often, oh, no, I don't know them. But we're all human beings. And once you start talking, you will have something in common, whether it's probably for me, white wine um, or vodka. But it might be holidays, it could be sport, it could be reading, it could be anything. You will find something that's a common denominator there. And that will flow the conversation for the next few hours. But, you know, you have to make an effort. Yeah. And you have to want to know about people and be interested in what they say. So don't ask them a question and then just turn around and start eating your dinner. If you're asking someone a question, you need to look that you're being receptive to the answer. So I think there's many different ways you can you can network at a Cuba conference. You can come find me. I'll take you to meet whoever you want, or you might not want to, you might just want to stay with me. But I mean, I joined Cubo. It was an important association for me to join because I didn't know anyone in the sector. And that that has opened up, obviously. I mean, as you know, Mel and others know, we've now got the regional groups, which are really useful. Uh, and without those relationships that we've worked on over the last few years, when COVID hit in London, we, I think we would have been in a better, worse place because we were able to just pick up the phone and say, oh my good God, what are you doing about X? And you know, we did get to the stage where we're sharing policies, just take our name out, put your name in, off you go. So, you know, in terms of skill knowledge and helping each other out, you need to know people to have those questions, don't you? You can't just phone someone you've never met and say, can I see your policy on monkeypox yeah. or something? But when you know them, it's easy. Yeah. With our partners, as an example, I'm very keen on multi-tiered relationships. So I like a relationship at one level. I like uh, Nigel, who's my regional operation manager, relationship at another level or head of catering to have a contact at a different level. And I think that's a healthy way to manage partners because if anything goes wrong with any of those relationships, you've always got somebody else there in contact with that company. Or if somebody leaves, you've got some continuity with the other relationship. And it's not a hierarchical thing, although it works to be like that because that's often how people want to work. The important is having multi-levels of comms. Yeah. And that's networking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I might see someone as an example from, I don't know, Fresh, but Nigel will be seeing somebody else from Fresh and we'll be aligned and saying, I'm seeing somebody from Fresh today, is there anything you want me to feed back and vice versa? Um, and so we have a little pincer movement going on. I think they know that, but if they didn't yeah. know it now. <laughs> you can thank me for that. Yeah, so it's really interesting because it is clear talking to you. I'm sure the energy is coming across the airwaves to everyone listening that you you love people you you're curious you enjoy spending time with people so for those people that aren't necessarily like that you know perhaps a little bit more introverted find it difficult to walk into a room where they don't know people what would you say to them how can they sort of channel their inner jane if you like 
I used to mentor students from Oxford Brooks. In fact, you don't even know that, Mel. Still things you don't know about me. <laughs> and they were students in their third year. And it was really, it was an opportunity to start to introduce them to the, to the industry, which was catering at the time, and to introduce them to people. Uh, because, of course, they don't really have a network when you're at university or college or something. You don't have those contacts. So I used to arrange to take, the last person I looked after was Ruby, take Ruby with me to anything I got invited to. Um, and introduce her to someone and then she would still stand by my side and then I'd introduce her to someone else and I'd start a conversation and then she would carry on and then I'd disappear and then go back over and say, you all right, Ruby? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Or like the face would be horrified and I'd take her away and introduce her to somebody else. So I think, you know, I, I think on your own, it's quite hard actually if you haven't got that confidence, but I think you can always find someone in a room that can help you with some of that. Some of my team don't feel that comfortable doing it. Um, so if I take them to a first Cuba event, I will spend time making sure that they're comfortable with somebody or people that I know and then, then leave them with those. And then the next time it's less daunting, isn't it? And then the time after it's less daunting and the time after it's less daunting. I mean, you can sit down and think about things that you, uh, you find interesting about yourself because if you start to struggle for conversation, you've got to pull something out of somewhere. Uh, and often I start talking about I lived in New Zealand for 10 years I worked at the Sydney Olympics and that always oh my god did you so if there's something in your life that someone else is going to think oh my goodness uh, if you've done the gold duke of Edinburgh it doesn't matter what it is and I think you can you can prepare yourself with that you can prepare yourself with some good stories from work or from not from work that if the conversation starts to die that you can pull something out of your your little you know your armory of fantastic stories I think mostly when you meet people, you, you find somebody else that you both know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you were, if you were, oh, where did you used to work? Oh, I used to work at High Table. Oh, I used to work at High Table. And then you're off on you. Oh, did you know so-and-so? So, you know, even if that's the connection, it becomes a lot easier, I think. But they are just people. Yeah. You know, it's funny that some people can go on blind dates on dating apps. That's not me, by the way. But then they find networking hard. Well, how, how is that different? I mean, it's worse, isn't it? Surely that's harder. Even I would think that's harder. I think you've got to take the fear out, have confidence in yourself, that you're a nice person and you've got things to tell people. Love it. Love it. And you can't fail. You, it, you can't, you know, duh, duh, as you walk off from a conversation, it, you know, yeah. you think, mm, maybe that didn't go as good, better next time. Yeah. You can't fail at it. I love that. You can't fail at a conversation. Brilliant. So... <laughs> I'm going to pull you into my world, as you know, because you know my world quite well. Yeah. When have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Well, I've got quite a few little scenarios. I think I moved to New Zealand in, I don't know, well, 30s, I think. I must have been bonkers. But anyway, I moved to New Zealand and I didn't know anyone in New Zealand. Well, I knew one person. Won't go into that. So I arrived in New Zealand, didn't know anyone, didn't know anything about New Zealand. And I was, my job was almost like a, re, a regional director's job. And I can remember sitting in the office on the first day and, you know, you, know, you think, oh, I can write a, I can check a menu, that's easy. Half the food on the menu, I didn't even know what it was. It's fish I've never heard of, herbs I've never heard of, fruit I've never heard of. It's like, what the hell is that? And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is going to be tough. And then I start seeing the business and it was very unsophisticated. Um, you know, we were still in the rooms of having cheese sandwiches with wet cheese cloths on top. And I was, I was trying to learn an industry which I thought would just be easy, but also learning to live in a country, trying to make friends. You know, there were times when I would phone up 
friends in London and say, I don't know what I've done. You know, I think I've made a mistake. And they'd say, just come back, get on a plane and come back. But I'm not that type of person. It was like, I'm not coming back with my tail between my legs. I'm gonna stay for the three years that my visa was for and make it work. But I, you know, I was, I was lonely, you know, I was struggling really, but I just thought this is ridiculous. So I just sort of gave myself a talking to and um, decided to be more positive than I was being, that I wasn't gonna go home on the next plane to New Zealand, uh, to, to London, sorry, and that I was gonna make it work. And I was not coming back as a failure. And I ended up staying 10 years. Um, but it, you know, everyone has those doubts of insecurity. No family, no friends. You know, you didn't know, I didn't even know what a dollar was worth. I knew nothing. I must have been absolutely bonkers. I'd nowhere to live. I was sleeping on someone's floor. Just Christ, I had two suitcases full of clothes. As people know me, I do like my clothes. I mean, I, you know, I didn't even know where to, I haven't even a wardrobe. And I'm really glad I didn't come back because I would have felt like a failure. And I had fantastic 10 years in New Zealand yeah. and gained experience from another country um, that, you know, is, you, you, may, you may go on an overseas trip in your 20s, but you don't tend to go in your late 30s. Yeah. And, you know, I've got dear friends in New Zealand and I go back everywhere, despite COVID usually go back every two years for four weeks. It's a lovely country. I've got a passport, worked at the Sydney Olympics. I mean, I had a fantastic time. But I came back and that was hard. And I thought that would be really easy because I was coming back to London. Everybody knew me, but I'd been away too long for that. Yeah. So um, whilst I'd expected a little bit of uncertainty moving to New Zealand, I hadn't expected it coming back to London. And I almost had to dig deeper. Um, yeah. And the temptation to move back to New Zealand was greater than the other way. It was the year of the London bombing. People had forgotten me in the industry. It didn't take long to get them to remember me, but they'd forgotten me. I was in Liverpool. I was going to work up north. All the jobs were in London. Friends had got married and had children. And you know, when I left, they were all going to nightclubs. And now they're all going to the crash. <laughs> that was tough, actually. And it probably took me two years to settle back into London before I, I joined UAL. But it was, it was hard. Yeah very hard. Thank you for sharing that and that's really interesting isn't it that that sort of you dive deep you pull yourself out of it you're in a really good place and then you find yourself back down there even deeper than you were the first time that you you went there so lovely story. And there's all people tell, who want to say to you told you so and I can't stand that type of person you told me what that New Zealand was full of sheep it isn't full of sheep there's other things in New Zealand so that sort of attitude I don't know particularly I don't think it's helpful yeah if you can't find something in moving to a new country that is worth talking about and enjoying and remembering and experiencing then you're you know there's something not right with you especially if you're working in a food a, a people industry yeah so doubting Thomases are not on my agenda I know I know that very well so <laughs> we've dived deep when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree I think we all felt a bit like a fish that climbed a tree when COVID hit. I remember on the Monday I went to work and I couldn't talk. And my boss, Steve, said, why are you at work? I said, because I'm working. He said, but you can't talk. It's like, well, that's a good point, Steve. And he said, go home. And I didn't go back for two years because um, that was the, that week that we all got sent home to work. And I think it was it was so, un I mean, I'm really good when I'm in control and know what we're doing. But when it's all unknown, I find that really difficult And because you can't grab anything. So it is a bit like a fish trying to get up a tree. There's nothing to grab onto, is there? 
you can't steady the ship, you, you know, you haven't got the answers, your team are looking to you for solutions and leadership, um, but you, you don't necessarily have, you don't have the answers because you don't actually know the problem. And we didn't, nothing anyone realised it would be as big as it was. Um, but the first thing I did was actually set that London regional meeting up every week because I was thinking, crikey, if I'm feeling like this, how must some of the smaller universities who maybe haven't got the same experiences as some of the as old hardened oldies? And those meetings became, uh, I mean, apart from a moan session where all the universities could just say, oh, my God, what is going on? Because nobody in the in university understands what we're dealing with. Yeah. Only people that do my job understand what we're doing with or similar jobs. And so it was a bit of counselling session for the first bit. And then and then it was about solutions. What are you doing about this? And comparing cases or comparing uh, processes or whatever it was. And it meant that we didn't all have to reinvent the wheel every day, um, which is what we were trying to do before. And that became a source of absolute affrontable knowledge. And now we go onto the call and sometimes the conversations are a little bit Juttery, but people will come with a list of questions. What have you done about this? What are you doing about that? How have you done that? And so the need for those calls was massive. Yeah. Um, and I think without those calls, I was also able to sell internally in the university. Look, every London, every university in London is doing this, or this is the figures from all the other London universities, so that I had some benchmarking information to share with the university, which gave them a lot more confidence in what we were doing. Yeah. But it there was no question it was a very tough time. Yeah. A very tough time for me and everybody who worked I think in commercial services across the universities and the whole of the country um, in the UK yeah um, very hard so I think at my age you don't think you're going to have a situation when you don't know any of the answers again but who dealt with a pandemic for and certainly who wants to deal with one again um, I don't so yeah I think that was very very tough and because you were panicking or not panicking but you were concerned and you were worried about losing money and and how were the staff going to survive and what we're going to do about the caterers and how could they get jobs and everyone's looking to you so you can't falter I might have looked like the duck on the top of the water but I can assure you underneath the water I was the fastest pedaling duck in the in the pond because I wasn't feeling like that at all but I had to portray that to my team because if I lost it then it would have been difficult to get them back yeah so I would say that recent and good example of uh, being a fish trying to climb a tree and absolutely brings us back to where we started from which was you know that I believe that networking is a key element of your leadership strategy because that was a form of networking absolutely you were harnessing the power of of your networks and I think that as leaders, sometimes we can get a little bit complacent and think, well, I've reached where I am. I don't need to do that anymore. But actually, the pandemic showed us that you can never stand still and think that you know it all. I think you're right. And I think that those people, if you think like that, then you've somewhat lost it and you've lost touch with reality a little bit. Because in our, our industries or in the HE sector, things are changing all the time. We're dealing with young people. You know, the problems presented to us are different every year. And the group of students who join us are different every year. And I think if you get that complacent, then it's probably time to move on. I don't think I know at all about what we do. Um, and I've got no concern with phoning someone up and say, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be doing about this. Can you help me? Because I think that that is strength in people and not a weakness. Those people who don't ask those questions, who are struggling anyway, I think that is a weakness. I'm not going to sit here and, and worry for two hours when I can phone up somebody at 
I don't know where, and University of London, Andrew Howarth, and say, Andrew, what are you doing about zone six? I don't know what to do. And he'll share that with me. Yeah. And that's using your networks as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to their advantage. And Andrew, I'm sure, would do the same to me. And that is the power of networking. Yeah. But had we not had those relationships at the beginning of COVID, how would that have been? Yeah. I mean, think back, I think, oh my goodness, what would that have looked like? Not as good as it looked, yeah. I can assure you that. Brilliant. Thank you. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I knew it was going to be a riot. So how can people, talking about networking, how can people connect with you, find out more? Where can they go to? Well, I'm on LinkedIn and my name is a bit odd. So it's easy to find me as it's Jane Donerkey, which is not like being Jane Smith. So through LinkedIn via Cuba and the portal um, at the Cuba conference coming up at Lancaster, which I believe you're going to, Mel? No. Oh, you're not? I'm away, which is why we're recording this episode. So this goes out in place of me being there. Uh, so at the Cuba conference, I mean, I, I try and keep my social media either social or work. I don't tend to connect with people particularly on uh, Instagram or Facebook because they're my party sites and LinkedIn is my, and Cuba is the grown up site. So through those or through the university, or you can get my email address off the Cuba website yep. and phone number or bounce up to me at the conference and have a glass of wine. I'm sure there will be people that do that. As long as it's not Chardonnay, ABC girl, I'm afraid. Fantastic. Well, Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us your perception of networking. As I said, you are a complete and utter networking angel. I am in awe of you. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? Don't hold back. Don't let people hold back and don't listen to the doubting Thomases. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Louisu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. <laughs>